Welcome to the Surrender Podcast. Surrender is a collective of Christian groups and organisations from across Australia. We work in unity to share Jesus' call to seek his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. We create spaces for the sharing of stories that motivate, support and equip people to love their neighbour, share good news and live justly, both locally and globally. Please note, Surrender provides spaces for conversation and storytelling and does not necessarily endorse the personal views of any one presenter. This is Shane Clifton's Bible study entitled Reading the Scriptures Through Disabled Eyes. Shane is Professor of Theology at Alpha Crucis College in Sydney. He is quadriplegic, a quirip theologian, an unhealed Pentecostal, a feminist ally and an open-minded Christian. He usually cringes at representations of disability in the media and in the church. In his Bible study, he creates space to reflect on disability, to explore limitation, vulnerability and dependency, and the creative power that is central to every human life. We are born utterly dependent. At every point in life, we are at risk of illness and a disabling injury, and old age itself is a form of disability. This series of Bible studies invites participants to look at the Bible through the lens of disability. It takes a hard look at the passages in the Hebrew scriptures that seem to alienate the disabled and provides fresh insight into passages of inclusion and liberation. This is part one of his Bible study that takes a hard look at passages in the Hebrew scriptures that seem to alienate the disabled and provide fresh insight into passages of inclusion and liberation. So you then go into ICU and look, it's a scary, scary time. It was 2010, it was two weeks before my 40th birthday. We had this wonderful birthday party planned, um, which I had in ICU with, um, you're only allowed two people at a time in the room, so that was slightly surreal. Uh, over time, I gradually regained um, some on the right side. So as the swelling goes down, you then discover how, how much injury you've had. So I've had no recovery on this left side, but I've had some recovery on this right. So I've got some tricep, um, um, some hand movement. It's amazing how much a little bit of difference makes with your capacity, for example, to um, feed yourself, etc. So, look, it was a massive change in my life. Uh, I was in hospital for seven months, came home, uh, and look, the transition is really, really difficult. So uh, I was really happy, uh, unhappy for many years. In fact, it was interesting because coming home was almost harder than the seven months in hospital. I think, you know, you're in hospital and you just can't wait to get out of hospital. It's the hospital food. It's this, you know, 40 years old and you feel like you're a baby. Um, so I was so desperate to get home and then you get home and then you suddenly, I think, realize that, my goodness, this life has radically changed. And you've got to deal with, you know, how can I be a husband when the things I used to do around the home are suddenly different? How can I be um, a good father when the way in which I used to parent was, you know, dependent upon playing sport with them? Um, so, look, we had all these challenges. Um, but I, I want to talk today about disability because probably like many people, I knew nothing about disability, much to my shame, um, and till all of a sudden it was sort of shoved in my face. And um, I think even really for the first year or so, um, 
I didn't actually know about disability. What I knew about was impairment. And so um, I had an injury and the goal was how do we get rid of it? Um, or how do I, you know, initially, by the way, the hope was um, either that the natural processes, you know, over the next few months, because I knew people who started with the same level of injury as me who walked out of hospital. Um, and of course, I had a thousand people praying for my healing. Um, so we'll, we'll address that tomorrow. But so the idea early on was um, let's fix me. And it wasn't really until, um, you know, a, a few years down the track when you suddenly are faced with, um, with the fact that this is a permanent injury, that you then transition from, um, from this notion of I'm injured, trying to get well, to I'm disabled. Um, and I, I think what, what I... What I I discovered, which is something that people who've lived with disability all their lives know, um, is that we tend to think of, um, of disability as a problem with a person's body or brain, and so it's a medical problem. Um, in, in which case, the solution is to find a cure. Uh, and of course, in my case, that cure is either by doctors and physios and occupational therapists, um, or by the way, hoping for a medical cure. So you, you hear all of the time, um, there's a sort of this thing, especially in spinal cord injury, where stem cell research or some sort of medicinal thing will, um, will solve the problem with my body. And uh, you know, every, day, every week I get, a, I get sent from someone um, via an email link, the latest scientific breakthrough in stem cell research, or the latest robotic arm, for example, that somehow connects into the back of my brain. Or uh, the thing that people most like sending me is walking machines. Um, and I can't stand the idea of a walking machine. You hear people say, um, you know, you're wheelchair bound. I hate that word because, no, no, I'm bound um, when I'm stuck in bed and can't move. But my wheelchair is, of course, what gives me liberty and freedom. And um, even those, those walkers are, are, how can we fix Shane so that he fits in with the community rather than how can we reshape the world so that Shane's wheelchair can get him around? And, um, and I guess the, I, I started reading about disability and I discovered something which really changed the way I thought about myself and about disability and it was it's got a label it's called the social model of disability um, have you heard of that before um, most of you have not everyone um, so it's the idea or the realization that disability is not primarily a medical problem but a social one that society disables people by isolating and excluding them. Now, probably the first insight that I really had into this was during hospital, although I didn't realize it. And um, I had some friends who were getting married. And so um, the, the marriage had been organized before, um, before I went to the hospital. And so, you know, yeah, um, I'm going to the wedding and 
they'd rung up and said, yeah, yeah, the venue's accessible, we'll be able to get you in. And uh, we turned up that night, and of course the venue was accessible, up a flight of stairs. And the venue had assumed that, well, you know, they'd just be able to carry me up. But I don't know whether you've seen this wheelchair. It weighs 180 kilos, and, uh, and I weigh 100 kilos, so together we are 280 kilos. There's no carrying me anywhere. But look, what they decided to do was to lift me out of the wheelchair and then carry me in the wheelchair separately. And uh, I cried my eyes out, actually. I felt I was new in the injury. I wasn't used to this disabled body. I felt um, like a baby, really. I, I think now, if they was to do that, I'd be able to laugh it off and it wouldn't be a big deal. But, but it was this realisation for the first time that... The, the problem with this disability is that this world isn't shaped to enable me to get around in it. Um, so it's the exclusion of disability, it is, you know, at one level, very simple. It's a result of the inaccessibility of the built environment. So you've got shops with steps, um, you've got very narrow aisles in a lot of places. Um, did you know that 98% of Australian homes have steps on entry? Um, so the va even single-storey homes have steps getting into them. Um, narrow doors, narrow halls, especially old places. Um, but of course it's not only these things. Um, it, it's the failure to implement social structures that enable us to work and do other things. And it's also um, deep-seated, pervasive fear of disability um, and systematic um, discrimination. And so according to the social model of disability, the solution isn't to fix the person, but it's to change the society, to remould the environment in which we're living. And of course, that's going to include very simple things like adding ramps to buildings, adding accessible toilets, having Auslan interpreters, um, using audio descriptions for movies and televisions and all of those sort of things. Has anyone ever um, shut their eyes or put a blindfold on and listened to um, a movie being narrated to you? Um, a really um, fantastic experience. So I'd, I'd really recommend it. You can find the movies online and uh, experience what it's like to watch a movie um, with, uh, with descriptions, fun. Um, so it'll involve those basic changes. Um, it'll also involve structural changes, such as flexible workplaces, you know. Um, my life is fluid, and workplaces need to be comfortable with the fact that I may or may not turn up today, or I might turn up late. Um, um, there's challenges living with cantankerous bodies that um, that workplaces need to accommodate. We need things like schools, for example, that understand that um, that having an intellectual disability doesn't mean that you can't learn. It just means often that you need to learn in different ways. And we have a schooling system that is suited too often for the, the normal, whatever that is, the average person, and doesn't accommodate our differences. So there's got to be systemic changes. And above all, it involves changes in the way that we speak and think about disability. Because it's only when our values and attitudes change 
that the rest is possible. Now, I am coming to the Bible here, so uh, if you're wondering why this is a Bible study, um, we're getting there now. You see, it's, it's at these attitudinal um, sort of values level that's the most important. Because we're only really going to be able to change the built environment um, to include interpreters, to put in ramps, if people believe that it matters, if our attitudes and our cultures change. Um, so we've really got to, I think, work at this level before we can see significant changes in the other, at the other level. And um, the truth is that our attitude toward disability is propagated through cultural icons, through things such as film, television, blogs, the media. Um, you know, just, just watch, for example, the, the famous recent movie, Jojo Moy's uh, Me Before You, or read the book. And, um, you know, the, the, the assumption... Has anyone heard of that movie or seen that book? Um, it was out only a couple of months ago. Look it up. But the basic assumption of that movie is that um, life with a spinal cord injury is not worth living. That the way in which uh, the appropriate response of, of a person with this injury is to die so that others can be freed from the burden of living with them. Um, and that's an idea that's propagated and celebrated in a movie that made millions and millions of dollars around the world. Um, so, I, I guess what's challenging though is that these, um, these attitudes and values are also carried in traditions, especially in religious traditions which can be both empowering and disempowering at one and the same time. One of my famous, uh, favourite uh, feminist scholars, Elizabeth Schusler Fiorenza, the name doesn't matter, but she suggests that our Bible, all of our Bibles should have a sticker on the front. And uh, the sticker on the front says, warning, could be dangerous to your health and survival. And... Um, at first glance, that seems like a terrible thing to say about the scriptures, doesn't it? Um, but actually, you don't have to think too hard to realise that the Bible is an authoritative text that has been used to oppress people over the centuries. Um, take the fact that many, um, many churches still insist on female submission to men, and they do so apparently because the Bible says so. And uh, so feminists subject to oppressive readings of the scriptures have often asked the question, can the Bible be liberating for women? And some feminists have decided no, and so they've left Christianity as a result. But those who answer yes, do so tentatively, um, saying that the Bible can and should be liberating for women, provided we read it carefully. And, uh, and feminists have suggested actually that there's a bunch of reading strategies that can help us um, read the Bible carefully. And um, what I'm going to do now is apply some of these feminist reading strategies to a disabled reading of the Bible. Um, and uh, it's interesting because I teach theology for a living and when my colleagues heard that I was being invited to surrender to give Bible studies, they did laugh. Um, 
because they're on the, they're of the view that theologians don't read the Bible. Um, <laughs> so I do, um, but maybe not in the same way. So we're going to do a Bible study today, but I'm not going to give any histor- I'm not going to do a historical um, sociological reading for you. I'm not going to tell you about the nature of the world in which this was set. Um, I'm going to leave you to do that. You can look at the commentaries uh, in your own time, and I'm going to apply some more of these creative feminist readings to the text. It's a little postmodern. It's this sort of reader response thing. It's a little bit scary. Well, it is, because there's two strategies that I want to look at. And the first is what's called a hermeneutics of uh, experience or suspicion. And uh, that makes people really nervous. Because the hermeneutics of suspicion says, when you're reading the text, can you see, does your experience enable you to see that there might be some ideology here? That there might be some values that need to be questioned in the text? And uh, when it comes to uh, a text that we and me included um, think is uh, believed to be inspired, it can be quite challenging. Um, to actually address the text that way. But sometimes you've got to do that as a starting point to sort of realise how your reading of this text has been biased and serves an ideology. Um, and then I'm going to talk about, well, can we, uh, can we then rework the text with some strategies like um, a hermeneutics of creative imagination? So that's what we're going to do. I could explain these approaches today, but I'd rather not. Um, let's have a look at some texts. Uh, I, I should say the other thing that feminists do, so there's a few strategies. They start with a hermeneutics of experience. In other words, um, if you're a woman, bring your experience of female oppression to the reading of this text and see, does this text actually reinforce that, um, that oppression? Um, they then will sort of say, well, how can I reimagine this text so that it doesn't do that? That's a creative reading. They'll also do strategies such as identify texts that are especially liberating, that maybe don't get a focus in a male world, for example. So, um, so we're going to do some of that today. So why don't we start, though, with a really difficult text? Um, there's a few that we could choose. Um, but I might just start us with Leviticus 21, 16 to 23. So, get your Bibles open if you've got it there, or your phones in this day and age. All right, we got, got the text there. Let's read it out. The Lord spoke to Moses. He said, Speak to Aaron. Tell him, for all time to come, no man in your family line who has any flaws can come near to offer food to me. The man who has any flaws can come near. No man who is blind or disabled can come. No man whose body is scarred or twisted can come. No man whose foot or hand is disabled can come. 
No man whose back is bent can come. No man who is too short can come. No man who has anything wrong with his eyes can come. No man who has boils or running sores can come. No man whose sex glands are crushed can come. No man in the family um, in the family line of the priest of Aaron who has any flaws can come near me. He can't come to bring the offerings that are made to me with fire. If he has any flaws, he must not come near to offer food to me. He can eat the holy food. He can also eat me very holy food, uh, my very holy food. But because he has a flaw, he must not go near the curtain or approach the altar. If he does, he will make my sacred tent unclean. I am the Lord. I make everything holy. So Moses told all of these things to Aaron and his sons, and he also told them to all of the people of Israel. All right. So is that a text you've read before or noticed before? Um, I Look, hey, as I said, before I had a disability, um, I hadn't thought much about it. But I've got to say, I came across this text um, about a year after I was um, had this injury, and um, it really hit me in the face. Um, so, um, I guess I'm curious. Maybe why don't you talk amongst yourselves just for a few seconds to think about that text? Um, maybe ask yourself just at this point two questions. Um, how have you, how would you read a text like this normally? How would you respond to a text like this? And what, what, how would this text hit you if you had one of the disabilities that's being described there? So just um, get yourselves thinking, think through that and um, have a talk amongst yourselves. Formally, maybe. Probably not culturally. Thank you. 
I'll give you guys another 30 seconds. I know we could talk forever on it, but... Okay, I'll grab your attention again. Only because I'd like to also deal with a couple of other texts at a certain point. So, um, let me start by saying it's fun looking at texts with a different perspective, isn't it? Um, challenging but fun. So, all right, let me just get at least a couple of responses out there who'd like to share. Maybe how you would normally read this text, how you'd normally deal with it. So, does anyone want to start us off for that? One solution, of course, is never to read the Old Testament. Um, <laughs> what happens, of course, is we have these things. Let's read the whole Bible through this year. We start at Genesis and then we get to Leviticus and we stop halfway. So, you might never have actually gotten this far. Um, but, yeah? I guess I would look at it as God has always set the standard high and trying to get across that He's holy. Yep. Yeah. So that I mean, look. Um, in fact, would you like me to read you the word? I said I wouldn't do any historical critical exercises, <laughs> but I'll read the word biblical um, response for you, which is exactly that. So this is um, the modern commentary: To serve at the altar, a priest has to be whole in body. The wholeness of the priest, just as the wholeness of an animal acceptable for sacrifice corresponds to and bears witness to the holiness of the sanctuary and the holiness of God. This is another indication of the higher standard placed on a priest. So, so that's, that's the way we traditionally read it. Anyone else got a response to that? Yep? Um, also, the way I read it, I want to jump ahead to the narrative of the scripture where um, 
restrictions are lowered if God improves people into Israel according to the law, yeah. yeah. So yep. Place. So we can't just read this text on its own. I think I heard these ladies. What was your name, sorry? Adele, Adele talking about something similar. Um, how how did you say you dealt with the text that? Um, well, I, I struggled to reconcile the God of the Old Yeah. New people and they needed laws and they needed to be set apart and need to look set apart. They needed it was quite radical at the time to be given these. Yeah. So we've got this sort of gradual unfolding of revelation, maybe that's part of it. Um, so I, look, I think all of those things are true and there'd, there'd be other ways of responding to it. But we respond that way, to be honest with you, because we love the Bible and we want to respond to it positively. But the feminist reading here is saying, just let go of that for a second and imagine what it's like to read that text as a person with this disability. Because this disability is me. Um, every bit of that, in fact, right down to the damaged testicles, um, is me. And when I read this text, soft pedaling around it just doesn't cut it because it's telling me that I can't represent God because I've got this disability. And, uh, and so I, I, I think it's worth saying at least that this text has been used by the church through the centuries um, to prevent people from um, being able to represent God. In fact, if you look at the Interpretation Bible College, uh, the Interpretation Commentary, it says um, we still think the same way today. Um, you look at the way John Wesley interpreted this. So th th these texts, uh, they're called clobber texts sometimes. They're used against people with disabilities. And I guess what we're saying, let's start um, to recognise that the Bible is inspired but it's also a human book. And as, a, as an inspired human book, um, it, it doesn't only include the revelation of God, but it also, in many places, includes our biases and our ideologies, including here uh, an ancient bias, an ideology to disability. And it's only when we recognise that that we can begin to question it. We can begin to question it in the text, uh, and then we can also begin to ask ourselves to what way, to what extent am I as a church, um, what are my biases and how are those biases affecting the way in which I relate to people with disabilities. Um, now, uh, I've got in my notes here um, that at least in the initial instance, we should be hesitant to sort of, um, to too quickly sort of move past prejudice, especially if it's found in the scriptures. Um, if we want our Bible to be liberating to people with disabilities, then we need to face up to the humanity in the text to recognise that it does reflect prejudice. Um, because it's only in facing 
prejudice in authoritative texts that we're prepared to face our own. So we need to start there, but let me suggest, or let me say that, um, that the Bible is actually very liberating for people with disabilities. So I've highlighted for you a particularly problematic text. Um, and uh, I, I think um, the Hebrew scriptures, for example, they do unsurprisingly reflect Old Testament prejudice, um, but they can also surprise with their inclusiveness and compassion. And, uh, and I think compared to many texts of the day, the Old Testament is a, is a wonderfully liberating text for widows, for orphans, for the poor, for the marginalised, and that does include for people with disabilities. Um, so I'm just trying to work out my time. We've got 15 minutes, is that right? I want to, um, do I have time for two more texts or for one? What do you reckon? Let's, let's start with, um, with a positive text, eh? Because I don't have time today to do a, an overall reading of the Old Testament. Um, but I'd like to start with a disabled reading of a positive text. And, uh, and this is um, Isaiah 53, 1-4. By the way, before we go there, um, oh no, we'll go there. We'll do that. Tell us when you've got it. I'm sure this is going to be a text familiar to you, even if the other one wasn't. All right. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted." That's of course uh, a messianic text and um, I'm sure you've read it before. Again what I'd like you to do now is to read it, um, but Think about what it would be like to read this text as a person with a disability. So try and put a different set of glasses on and see whether you notice something different about this text uh, if you try and read it as a person with a disability. So again, rather than me just tell you what to think about it, I'd like you to have a read for a second and then discuss that amongst yourselves and then we'll share some of those observations. So let's do that.
Am I talking at a pace that's alright to translate? Really, really easy. I do. Yeah. It's just people too fast. That's the most difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Having some notes before helps a bit. It does. It always does. And you Yeah. Yeah. I know the audiences are less on Sunday for that reason. Okay, only because we're going to run out of time, I will grab your attention again. So, um, this has wonderful resonance with disability and it gets you thinking differently about Jesus, doesn't it? So, let me just take some comments, uh, if anyone's game, one or two things that stood out to you in this text when you tried to look at it through disabled eyes. Yep. Yeah. 
in some ways, it changes our, our view of God from the Leviticus, like the untouchable, perfect, holy God, um, to in, in this one we see God as uh, who knows not only our, our imperfections, but also our rejection by other people. And mm. uh, that God is somebody who who loves and, and knows the, the feeling of being broken, I guess. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, I, I love the, these two texts. I've obviously chosen them as a deliberate sort of contrast, or, or not a contrast, but to go together. Because the first one's talking about the perfection of the high priest, and here is the highest of the high priest, the one who is um, sacrificed, introducing us to God, and he's described in these categories that seem to be rejected in this first one. So they're wonderful texts of contrast there. Um, so yes, in the sense that this liberates the first text, doesn't it? So. Great. What what else stands out to you in the text? For me, it's a, a call to constantly look beyond what we initially see mm. in any situation. So yeah. you can look at Jesus and you can just see the thing that got rejected, but you can look beyond that and actually see him. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. One of the interesting things which I which I'd recommend you do when you read a text like this is. Um, imagine the Christian art of Jesus, and you know it's the it's the blonde Jesus who's elegantly draped um, across the cross. Uh, but then imagine the Jesus described here, and you see a very different piece of art, don't you? Um, so, anyone else want to add something before I sort of talk a little bit more about it? Yeah, Rob. I was just thinking, Shane, about the. Uh yeah, it's a fantastic comparison. Yeah. That's good. Yeah? There's a good social model of disability though. It's like no danger for rejection as well as you. That was not God. But God includes you. Yeah, it really does speak to that. I mean, when you go through these descriptions, what you will find is people with disabilities, it resonates with you at every point. Um, so the message comes from, or the Lord is revealed in um, people who have no beauty or majesty. Um, you know, look, even personally, um, I was... A tall fit surfer and suddenly had to adjust to a body with distorted shaped hands with a tummy that has no stomach muscles that bloats out with um, smelly catheters it's um, you know um, it's a very different sort of body you suddenly have to deal with and people look at it differently um, there's nothing in his appearance that would attract him by the way they're actually, people with disabilities are beautiful. Um, it's our concept of beauty. Jesus was beautiful, but it was the concept of beauty that was the problem. So the, I'm not trying to suggest at all that people with disabilities, including myself, are ugly. That's, um, but it's the judgment that's made upon them that's getting, high, uh, um, that's getting highlighted here because he was despised, rejected, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. People with disabilities resonate with these descriptions of Jesus. 
um, like one from whom people hide their faces and was kept in low esteem. And what, uh, what the social model of disability is all about is that here is a group of people um, that have the lowest of esteem. They're the bottom in the totem pole. Um, and even this last line, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken and afflicted. Um, because, there, of course, for, for too many religions, um, disability was understood as a curse from the gods. Um, so Jesus completely turns that on its head. Um, and so, look, it's 1027. Um, I, um, let me just say, I hope this was at least enlightening, looking at, disability, looking at the scriptures from a different perspective tomorrow. We're going to take a similar sort of disabled reading of the Gospels, particularly Jesus. We're, we're even going to have a little bit of uh, hermeneutic of suspicion on Jesus. Don't worry, I love Jesus. We're going to redeem that. Um, but we're going to look at the challenge of healing tomorrow for people with permanent illnesses and disability. So we'll take that on then. But before we finish, is there any questions or comments? Um, about anything that's been said, including spinal cord injury, if, you, if you're interested. So, yes. Sorry, I'm more shallow than that. What's the third Bible verse? I, I find it fascinating. I really enjoy the, the verses that you talked about. Um, well, I had a few, for example. I, um, I'm interested in Isaiah 56, um, 3 to 7, which looks at, um, at God's response to the person with mutilated testicles. Um, the whole... Um, the, the whole question of eunuchs in the Old Testament. Um, in fact, it comes into the New Testament when God meets the Ethiopian eunuch. So there's a, there's a really interesting sort of disability analysis of those texts. I'm interested also, for example, in many of the Old Testament texts that use disability as a negative metaphor. So, for example, um, the Lord God will afflict you with the boils of Egypt and tumours, festering sores, from which you can't be cured. The Lord will afflict you with madness, blindness and, and confusion of mind. At midday you'll grope about like a blind person in the dark. You'll be unsuccessful in everything you do. So there's some interesting um, challenges here where blindness, for example, is used as a negative metaphor. You'll be unsuccessful. We do this all the time, by the way, in our modern speech. Um, you know, talk about, you know, I'm crippled, I can't do anything or... And so getting us thinking about the way we use language and the way it feels to be, for example, blind or deaf when we use these negative metaphors. So, so that was some of the other passages. Um, if we had more time, we might look at. So, yes, anyone else? You know, look, um, you, you change and respond and you learn how to respond to those texts, so there's no doubt that time helps there. Um, 
funnily enough, over time I've become much more comfortable um, with, with rejecting some of the passages of Scripture, which is a weird thing to say. Um, I simply find no way of redeeming Leviticus 21, but I'm comfortable with that um, because I think God can reveal himself um, through the scriptures, even in the bits with which we disagree. There's a really interesting sort of theological question that flows out of this that we're not going to touch on. Can you disagree with some of what the scripture says? Um, there's a challenging theological question for you. I'll just leave you with that. This is one of many conversations recorded live at Surrender 17 Melbourne. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and check out our website surrender.org.au for more resources and opportunities to get involved.